we generate leads, we get listings, we then sell those listings and we get income. The question is, what do we do with that income? Do we pull it out of the business? Do we spend it on silly things or do we reinvest it back into the business? Now, you can start to see flywheel should create power, it should create momentum, and it should create consistency. And if we know how these four pillars impact each other, you can start to see how this makes sense. So we have a team that generates leads. Those leads create listings, which we then sell. And then those sales generate income. And what should we do with that income? Well, we should reinvest it back into the business. In what area? Into recruitment, into a bigger team. And what should that team generate more leads, which generates more listings, more sales, more income. And you can start to see how this starts to make sense. And if you can control those four pillars as a business, you can control your destiny. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. For more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier for your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. And to get new episodes of Elevate directly to your inbox, sign up at eliteagent.com slash subscribe. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey, everyone. Firstly, Happy New Year from all of us at Elite Agent. We hope for you 2024 is a year of growth, prosperity and happiness. And as always here on the Elevate podcast, we'll be bringing you as many tips and strategies as we can to help you achieve your goals no matter what they are. Kicking off the year, we have someone known for his innovative leadership and deep market insight. As CEO of Ray White New South Wales, Tim Snell has played a pivotal role in shaping the company's strategic direction, fostering a culture of excellence and driving significant growth. Under his guidance, Ray White New South Wales has not only expanded its reach, but also enhanced its reputation as a leader in the real estate industry. So please join me in welcoming to the show, Tim Snell. Firstly, Tim, Happy New Year. To you too. Thank you. I hope you had a great break. Yeah, absolutely. And so over the break, did you manage to get any downtime, make some new year's resolutions, set goals, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, a lot of that was creating a lot of mental headspace and that was creating some pretty clear boundaries, sort of crossing off a lot of the projects and the tools for last year and really thinking strategically. We're about to take the whole team for an offsite, getting alignment there and getting everyone's goals sort of ready to go for 24. Yeah, amazing. It was about this time, I think, exactly last year when I interviewed Ben Folks on this show, and I think he might have been the first episode for 2023, and we talked about Jim Collins's flywheel. Like he said, Jim Collins was one of the most interesting people he'd ever met. He said, you know who you should talk to about the flywheel, which is why I was keen to get you on the show. He said, you should get Tim Snell on. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about the flywheel today, but I'm just conscious that although, you know, like you're quite well known to me. There might be some people listening to this show right now that are not too sure who Tim Snell is. So first of all, before we get into the deep stuff, could you give us a bit of a roundup on your career journey to date with Ray White? Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, even before Ray White, I sort of started my dad's real estate office he had in Scarborough in Perth, Western Australia, moved over to Sydney sort of in my mid-20s and spent a lot of time over in New Zealand as well. And that's where I started auctioneering and working with some of the biggest businesses in Auckland's North Shore. I moved back into Sydney at Ray White at about 27, joined uh, through Andrew McCulloch and Dan White. We went under Stephen Nell's sort of tutelage as well. 
I started in the recruitment space, growing up in auctioneering as well, calling on average about 800 auctions a year. And I've been in the last CEO job for the last 12 months or so. It's amazing when you consider that that's all happened in such a short space of time. But, you know, every leader knows that there's both huge rewards in the sort of role that you do and also usually comes with huge challenges. What are some of the challenges and rewards that most stick out to you in your career so far? Yeah, it's such a great question. I remember getting asked this by uh, one of our business leaders, Avi Khan, um, a couple of weeks ago. He said, Tim, what's the one thing that you didn't anticipate that you grew in from the role when you joined, but also the worst thing that you probably didn't anticipate? And when you moved into the CEO position, you know, I've always worked in performance. I've always worked in auctioneering. I've always been pretty close to the ground. But when you're stepping into a leadership role, you really carry a lot of the burdens of the network with you. They're obviously the network's burdens, they're monkeys, so to speak, but we're very much in partnership with all of our network and whether we're supporting them through financial issues, personal issues, life issues, there's deaths, there's divorces. You very much have to realize that performance of a business is so much based more around what's going on in our, in our members' personal lives rather than just their ambitions. And you know, whilst that was certainly a lot more challenging, than I anticipated in terms of, you know, we've got more than 200 shops here in New South Wales. So there's a lot of issues. On the flip side of that, you know, I was able to build, perhaps recognize a mental resilience, sort of a, a calloused mind, so to speak, if you believe in David Goggins talk and the ability to sort of surround yourself with great people and, you know, not only support them, but allow them to support me. It's been a really great sort of challenge. Yeah. Amazing. And as we move into 2024, are there any standout moments for you in the year that's just gone by? In the year that's just gone by, I think, again, using that word resilience has been a crazy one. You know, I think at the start of 2023, there was so much uncertainty. There was a lot of fear in the minds of our leaders. And, you know, COVID really taught us how to handle fear. I think a lot of people handled fear throughout the COVID period by being very reactive, very responsive. And when they acted in fear, they ended up getting rid of a lot of good people, stopping investment into a lot of growth initiatives. And then they actually missed or underutilized the boom. And quite frankly, they misplaced or mismanaged a lot of really talented people, which whilst that was a missed opportunity for a lot of business leaders, it was a great opportunity for those that showed the courage to you know double down when times were a little bit tough. So same thing happened at the start of 2023. We weren't quite sure how the market was going to go. You know, interest rates were going up, prices were going down, volume wasn't there. Do we get rid of our sales associates? Do we pull back on spending? Do we actually start to shrink our business rather than look at the growth initiatives? And I can promise you those businesses that really had that abundance mentality, again, really reaped the rewards of that second half of 2023, where obviously the volume came back strong over winter. There was a lot of opportunity. And again, those businesses that some of us were competitors, some of us maybe were even our own businesses, for those that were shrinking, great people were moving across. There was some great recruitment and attraction in the last six months. There was some great ability to grow great property management businesses. Obviously, we know that great property managers were in high demand over the course of this year. And, you know, we probably deserved a little bit of an income raise over that period. And I'm very happy to see that they're getting rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. And so with 2023 sort of in the review mirror now, like it was a very interesting year for some officers, just particularly with, 
you know, as you said, lowered volumes earlier in the year, a bit of uncertainty around interest rates and things like that. And we did see the market come back, like Sydney sort of led the decline and led the recovery, if you like. What are you seeing for 2024? Well, look, if you look at all of history and you use it as a bit of a mirror, we know that any time interest rates start to decline, prices tend to rebound. So we know that this is sort of predicted for the middle towards the end of next year. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a waiting game. I think the first three to six months will probably be a little bit slower. I think there's going to be a lot of owners that are holding on, waiting. I think there's going to be a little bit of patience in buyers as well that perhaps are hoping for the opposite to take place. But we're optimistic that spring and certainly summer in 2024 was going to have some really big opportunities and bolstering our businesses to be ready to take those opportunities is what we're focusing on for the start of the year. Yeah. So what sort of conversations are you having with people in your network at the moment to really get, like, I know you've got your event and stuff coming up, but what are the conversations that you're having with agents on the ground to make sure that they have a really fantastic 24? Well, it's all about managing the controllables. You know, as I mentioned, the lessons that we learned was not to be responsive. You know, emotions is a really bad indicator to make decisions. So rather than worrying or fearing or preparing for something that hasn't actually happened, it's really just looking at the data, what's actually happening right now. You know, when you take a look at 2023, if you just looked at the way people felt, indicatively, they probably say it was a pretty bad year. But when you take a look at the actual data, you would take a look at the numbers in terms of the volume of transactions, the value of the properties, certainly in New South Wales. I mean, they were all tracking the boom for July, August, September. And we're only a couple of percentage points off that over sort of October, November, December. So it was a really good time. So the question is, what is the truth or the reality of the marketplace? Okay, so right now there is less buyers than we would perhaps like at auctions. So we have to prepare, how do we transact properties with fewer buyers? How do we educate vendors to a quickly moving marketplace? Because it is changing. You know, one announcement on an interest rate rise can change the entire sentiment of a marketplace. So it's accessing the data, moving quickly, but focusing on what you can control. And really, that's all we can do. Yeah, absolutely. So 2023 was a bit of a breakout year for technology as well with the launch of ChatGPT early in the year and a whole bunch of other tools coming up behind that. How do you see the role of technology and innovation shaping real estate in 2024? It's a really interesting question. And if you read the book, Good to Great, there's an incredible chapter in there about technology accelerators, which effectively says that you can put the best technology in the hands of bad businesses and it'll make no difference. But you put yep. good technology in the hands of good business and it'll make an intangible difference. So you look at tools like ChatGBT and you put that in the hands of an operator that's being lazy and frankly, they write poor ad copy. It's unenticing, it's unoriginal and probably doesn't actually do you any favours. But you go and put that in the hands of someone that actually knows what they're doing and it does not only to save them time, but it shouldn't be something that actually removes an element from the business, but enhances the business. And the guys and girls that know how to enhance the business rather than try it, you know, eliminate it, they're the ones that I think will get the most out of the technology shifts. Yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned good to great. So let's get into a bit of a chat about Jim Collins and how we can apply his thinking to a bit more of 2024. So first of all, for some people out there won't have read good to great, 
we've talked about it a few times off and on on the podcast, but obviously you've studied it in great detail. So tell me about some of the key takeaways from good to great, and then let's pivot them onto a real estate business. Yeah. I mean, look, we have a whole leadership library here at Ray White because, you know, we think that any fool can learn from experience. So you're better to learn from someone that's actually walked the path before you. And, you know, the more things change, the more they seem to stay the same. So, you know, Good to Great is one of those fundamental business books that most people say they've read because they've read one chapter from it. But if they actually take the time to read it, it's one of those great books that you might have read it 10 years ago and the role of the business that's here today, it can take a completely different shape. So I can tell you, you know, I reread the book when I stepped into this position and there were some great fundamentals in there. I mean, we could go through each of the chapters individually, but in a leadership position, I'll tell you the one that really stood out to me the most was quite frankly, the right people on the bus in the right seats. And there's a whole chapter in there which effectively talks about when you're running a team, when you're building a team, the first thing is first who, then what? You know, I can certainly say I made this mistake and often we do is when we sit here and we strategize and we come up with these grand plans, but we then try and plug the wrong people behind those plans and it just doesn't work. It wasn't because the strategy didn't work, it's because you went about it the wrong way. And if you just get the right people on the bus, you seem to find that they'll thrive organically. And that's really what we look for. So we identify who is the right person. Now, every company is different, but we really asked ourselves that question, who's the right person? And we came up with four leadership principles that we look for for individuals. And this is obviously just here at Ray White, but the words that we sort of come to, which we're synonymous with is, is ambition. If you're not ambitious, you probably don't fit in with our DNA. That's a real estate trait, but it certainly needs to come into corporate. So ambition's number one. Our courage is number two. There's no point having ambition if you're not courageous enough to go and you know be vulnerable and try new things and explore these new paths to reach that ambition or that potential. Trust is the third one. You know we need to be able to trust that you can sort of have the support behind you. Trust that the leadership is there, but trust goes both ways. You must act with a high level of trust and that creates great teams. And the final component is energy, which is that's the one trait that you can't teach. And if you're the hardest worker in the room, you're probably going to be okay. So if you can identify someone that has ambition, that operates with courage, ambition, trust, and energy, well, you put them as the right person, then it's just a matter of well, what's the right seat, which is identifying their skill sets, identify what they're strong at, and allowing them to do more of what they're good at and frankly, less of what they're not. I might steal those traits of a person because they all sound pretty good to me, but, and, you know, they sound like a great fit for the Ray White business or what I know of the Ray White business. But if you don't know, like, you know, so let's just pull it back a step even. If you weren't too sure who is the right person for your business, how do you go about working out what your traits are or what your cultural values should be? Yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly how we went through them and created them and designed them. And, you know, it's interesting because creating culture, can I tell you, has been one of the hardest challenges in leadership. And I can tell you, you know, in terms of things that I take personally, obviously performance is important. We always want to see the numbers. But frankly, if there's someone I'm very protective of, it's culture. And it's because we work so hard to create a culture, but it's also very fragile. It's very easy to break you can walk past one behavior that doesn't live up to your culture and all of a sudden you don't stand for it. So we look for ways to create the culture, define the culture, but then reinforce the culture. So, you know, I think there's three ways to reinforce culture. First, you've got to be able to verbalize it. 
Then you've got to be able to symbolize it or visualize it. How can we make this a significant thing that is visual inside the business? But then you've got to create rituals and habits that reinforce those three things. So verbalize, you know, visualize, and then ritualize or habitualize, if you'd like, is the only thing. And it creates repetition because, like I said, it is fragile. But creating these traits, if you'd like, I think starts from a point of ambition. I can tell you when we first did this with my team, we put them together. We didn't actually say who we are. We sort of said who we aren't and more importantly, who we wanted to be. So when we said ambition, okay, I think ambition was something that we were all very good at. I'm very ambitious. Everyone on my team is very ambitious. But that comes with a lot of tension. You know, ambitious people create a lot of tension inside of businesses and sometimes they don't put the team first, they put themselves first because power is not given. It's taken as a phrase which I kind of have heard but have since reimagined how I think that actually works, but we can talk about that another time. So that's why trust became the next component because ambition without trust is a toxic team and that's something that we need to aspire to get better at. We needed to be courageous and again, I think we're good at courage, but energy was something that sometimes could be lacking where if it's Thursday and it's 4.30 and someone inside the team wasn't available or didn't do part of their job, did we see that as something that was our responsibility or do we put blame and say, well, what's their responsibility? It's not on my job description. So again, it's equally a challenge that we need to first live ourselves. You know, we actually ranked ourselves on those four traits when we first came up with them. And I promise you the scorecard wasn't as good as I would hope it to be, but I would like to imagine we're about to do again our offsite. And again, the first question we're going to ask the team is to rank ourselves on those four traits. And we remind ourselves every single week what we stand for. And we really try to reinforce that as much as we can. Yeah, interesting. And I suppose let's get on to the flywheel concept because that's an interesting one where part of the book is that, you know, if you can get the flywheel moving, like the hardest part is actually to get the flywheel moving towards growth. But then once you're in momentum a bit, I think the metaphor he uses is like getting a plane off the ground. Like it takes all the energy in the world to make a plane take off. But then once it's cruising, it's a completely different story. So let's kind of relay that to real estate. What are some of the hard things like, you know, the hard pushing of the wheel that you've got to do to get that plane in the air for 2024? What are some of the things that we need to think about? Well, I think the first thing about the creation of the flywheel, and I can tell you the way we implemented it into Ray White actually came from a different book. So the flywheel concept did come from good to great, but there's a different book, which is very much to the fundamental of how we operate here, which is a book called Working Backwards, which explores the fundamentals of Amazon, which I could recommend you read. And there's a great chapter in there, which again, talks about flywheels, but you've got to identify what are the core pillars that create momentum inside the business. What's the one metric, if you'd like, that creates that first stage of momentum that then needs to be reinforced or doubled down with the second and then the third and then the fourth. So in ours, we've come up with four pillars and every single thing that we do invigorates those four. And it doesn't really have a starting point or an end point because it's a circle, but we'll start and end with recruitment because the end of the day is the infrastructure we're supporting does not bring more people in then it's failure. So recruitment is number one. Number two is lead generation. If you can't create leads, well, then that's the ultimate input or I suppose the threshold for your ability to grow a bigger business. So we need more leads. 
Number three is stock management. You know, Ray White, we, we've trademarked competition creators. We are unapologetically an auction business. You know, we call one in five auctions in New South Wales, one in four in Australia. So we don't even call it stock management, we call it auctions because we know if we can make great uh, stock management or great auction process, we control days on market. And then as a result of that, we control our stock. There's no point having a whole bunch of listings if you can't control the sale of those listings. So we've got to be exceptional with our stock management. And the fourth component is productivity, which frankly is our ability to make better decisions. And that might be profit, but that might also be more importantly reinvestment. So, okay, we generate leads, we get listings, we then sell those listings and we get income. The question is, what do we do with that income? Do we pull it out of the business? Do we spend it on silly things or do we reinvest it back into the business? Now, you can start to see Flywheel should create power, it should create momentum, and it should create consistency. And if we know how these four pillars impact each other, you can start to see how this makes sense. So we have a team that generates leads. Those leads create listings, which we then sell. And then those sales generate income. And what should we do with that income? Well, we should reinvest it back to the business. In what area? Into recruitment, into a bigger team. And what should that team? Generate more leads, which generates more listings, more sales, more income. And you can start to see how this starts to make sense. And if you can control those four pillars as a business, you can control your destiny. And that's ultimately how we implement that here at Raywire. I love the way you explain that so simply as well, because I've never actually heard it like that, but it all just makes perfect sense. And I guess, interestingly, let me pick up on the lead generation thing, because last year we had a webinar that, which we called Three Wise Men, which one of which was Mark McLeod, who's your chief strategy officer. He's often said to me, the real estate industry doesn't have a lead generation problem, it has a lead nurture problem. If we do a survey out there to our readers, everyone will want content on how to pick up the phone, how to find leads, where to find leads, all that sort of thing. Whereas as a marketer, I think there are heaps of leads right in your database right now. You just need to nurture them better. Well, I mean, yeah, Mark's exactly right. And we do call it lead generation because I suppose you're right. That's probably just the word that people attach themselves to, but you're 100% right. The reality is the number of leads that exist at any point in time is finite. And whether you get your leads from REA, from domain, from your database, from Sell My Castle, from a referral, like it doesn't matter where the leads come from, the leads exist regardless of the source. So the question is, do you want to control that or do you want to pay for it? Because those are the only two options. And Frankly, one of the biggest threats to real estate businesses is to lose control of the lead. And, you know, this has happened organically. It's happened slowly. And it's bred a generation of real estate agents that, frankly, prospecting is probably not their strong point. And that's happened because there has been an increase in certainly online lead generation houses. And there's you know, nothing wrong with that. Well done to them. They found a hole in the market and they've owned it, right? But real estate businesses or real estate operators are happily paying 10, 20, 30, 40, sometimes higher percentage points of their GCI just to be given a lead. You know, as a franchise, we charge, you know, let's call it 8% franchise fees. I mean, we're in the wrong game. We should be in the lead generation game. But again, if we can't control those leads and we just simply accept that we're going to have to pay for leads, well, again, our business or our industry is at threat. So hence why we invested in products like Nurture Cloud. We've always been very strong on 
the ownership of a database, but more importantly, the role we play within the community and the opportunity that exists within a business is to control the nurture of those leads. Now, again, the interesting question, which is continuing to be a challenge, and this is a leadership question more than a salesperson question, is who's responsible for the leads? Now, old school business ownership thinking would perhaps say, well, the sales agent is, you know, because not that long ago, the role of a sales agent was all things to all people. You know, sales agents having teams is still not that common. Maybe it is in New South Wales, but you go into other states, you know, Western Australia, it's not that common to have a sales associate, let alone, you know, a team of three or four or five. You know, we run a very different business now. So, okay, if I'm a business owner and I hired a salesperson, do I have the old school thinking, which is, okay, they come in, here's the phone, here's the desk, generate leads, and then I get angry sitting at my desk as a leader because they're not generating leads and there's leakage? Or do I, as the business owner, say, it's my responsibility as a business to generate leads for my people? And a lot of our really mature business owners, a lot of the ones that are really looking into the future are saying, well, how can I control the lead? And that can be done in conjunction with salespeople. I'm certainly not trying to suggest they take anything away from them, but you know, whether that be through delegation, through delegation through to sales associates, whether it be outsourcing or we're referring it to insourcing where, you know, we've got some of our larger businesses that are literally building in-house core solution teams, which is quite frankly being used as a building yard or a first stepping stone to build salespeople. You know, we're being more creative to make sure that we can control the lead, that we do focus on the nurture. And frankly, we're retaining that really important piece of the pie being the lead generation side. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk some metrics now, because I know you're all about the numbers and I sort of, there'll be property managers listening to this as well as salespeople. So what is the most important thing? Like, I mean, Maka obviously talks about tasks and, you know, the tasks that are required to have a great business. What's the number one thing as a salesperson? If you want to have a better year than last year, what's one activity you would focus on? Yeah, that is such a great question. It's a fun activity that I actually sometimes do with businesses and salespeople, which you can do yourself. But the best question I would actually, or the best way I would answer that question is, where's the biggest opportunity, right? So, okay, let's just put all the metrics on the board. You would say, okay, is it calls? Is it connects? Is it appraisals? Is it listings? Is it conversion when you're a listing table? Is it sales? Is it days on market? Is it clearance? Like there's any number of metrics you could measure. And I think a failure point is you try and measure them all. So the analogy I make is, okay, when you're in the car, you don't look at, you know, the oil pressure and all these other bits and pieces. What do you look at? You look at the speedometer. So I say, well, what's the speedometer in your business? And that being the case, where's the biggest opportunity lie? So if you've got 15 buckets on the ground and that bucket has 50 fish in it and that bucket has five, well, fish in the bucket with 50. And now different businesses are different maturity. We will have different answers. But what I can tell you is this, when I take a look at the entire Ray Wide network, I would suggest that 90% of the businesses need to fix one problem and that's a volume of calls. That's it. Because once you get your business to a certain threshold, the percentages don't tend to change. And what I mean by that is, okay, let's talk about conversion at the listing table. That's what a lot of sales agents spend a lot of time on. I just need to get my listing presentation perfect. If I can just get the font the right size and my dialogues the right size, if I come up with a new innovation, everything will be perfect, right? If I can just get my conversion right. What's the problem is every time you come up genuinely with a new innovation, 
you know, like drone photography is pretty new. You know, people used to have to spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars to get a helicopter to go and get a nice overseas shot. And now, you know, you got a house in Parramatta that looks like it's got sea views. Like you go and you get a new innovation, and the problem is competitors will just steal it. So if you've got sort of more than a 60, 70% conversion rate, well, you know, you're probably not going to get much higher than that. Certainly not on a return for effort. So, okay, you've got to get at your skill to a certain level where you are going to get conversion at the listing table, but then you probably shouldn't focus on it. So let's move down a step. Now, if you go all the way back, you'll come to realize what's the size of the biggest opportunity. Inside of Ray White, you know, there's a great phrase, which is most great businesses are more likely to die from indigestion from too many opportunities than starvation from too few. Meaning that I've got so many businesses that have so many opportunities that they're literally so busy fighting and squabbling and trying to attack them all that they're actually attacking none of them well. And the answer to that is pretty simple. When we take a look through our nurture cloud system, it actually shows us why we're losing listings. And in most businesses' case, less than 10% of the lost listings happen in the living room. Now, I'm not talking about overall conversion. I'm talking about all the lost opportunities. So only about 10% happen in the living room, right? So that's number one. That bucket has 10 fish in it. If I go one step before that, well, there's a small number of opportunities that we lost because we speak to a client, but we either fail to get into the living room. So our qualification or our conversion dialogue is poor. That's slightly higher. Slightly higher again is we tried to connect with a client and didn't get through, that's also a problem. And that might be because of a lack of relationship. That might be because you only tried once or maybe you need to work on your voicemail dialogue or who knows, right? But unbelievably, usually about 80% of the leakage inside of our businesses, and of course, I'm sort of summarizing, but about 80% of the leakage inside of our businesses happened because there was a client that was already in our database and we just didn't call them. We just didn't call them because frankly, you know, a business owner or a, or a salesperson proudly talks about how they've got 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 contacts in their database, someone that's been around in an operation for a long period of time, and there is no way that they can keep up with a day-to-day operation and maintain relationships with that many people, but they think that more is more, and so they don't delegate those calls down to sales associates or salespeople inside their teams because they think, well, no, it's mine. It's my listing. It's my contact. Yet the biggest leakage inside of our business is easily just not making the calls. And it's such a shame because, again, this is a great lesson for established businesses. Is These established businesses, as you mentioned, the biggest opportunity probably exists within the business. And there's long-established sales agents that, again, have been in operation for a long time, have this absolute goldmine of data that they refuse to delegate out because of fear of whatever. And then they go and get these poor kids, these poor entry level agents in the office to go and cold call or cold door knock, just horrible ways to prospect rather than just giving them the data that they're not even calling themselves. And, you know, data allows us to make better decisions. And this is a lesson that we've really only, we've always inherently felt this way, but the data is now irrefutable. Like our nurture cloud system, which is our operating system for prospecting at Ray White, actually irrefutably shows us that the biggest opportunity simply exists because we're not nurturing the data we already have. So Mac's comment is correct. We don't have a lead generation problem. We have a nurture problem because we have the contacts, we have the detail, but we prefer to go and pay 20% for a sure win rather than make a phone call to someone that might not be selling for two years. And that mindset change, that, that is ultimately where we need to change. But 
picking up the phone, making contacts and identifying the opportunities that exist already within the business. Now, if I'm a brand new sales agent that's working for a business that has no history, you've got different problems. But if you're a well-established business, I promise you the biggest opportunity exists within the database and we're just not communicating and nurturing them. I feel like you're not passionate about that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked about it once or twice before. (laughs) Yeah, no, amazing. And I mean, look, so that deals with the sales side of the business, but what about property management? Like what's the one lever? Like, you know, somebody... So there's a great, I guess, consideration, right? And this is very much a theme of what we look for. And, you know, hear me out because I kind of don't like the way it sounds, but it is what it is. A concept that we try and consider is how do we maximize the value of every client relationship? How do we maximize the value of every client relationship? Now, when you look at it this way, you don't look at it as a transaction, you look at it as a relationship. Then this is how you connect buyers and sellers and sellers and tenants and tenants and landlords, because this is multiple transactions and some are done with property managers, some are done with BDMs, some are done with principals, some are done with sales agents, sales associates. They're all different arms of the business, but it's one client. And you know we operate with a system called Net NPS, Net Promoter Score, which effectively rates their ability to be an advocate for your business. How likely is that client to refer you to another client or use you again? And, you know, we consider that all the input points of the business are actually perfectly interrelated. The first way or the first time that a client typically interacts with an agency or a business, if you're going at the entire life cycle, is probably as a tenant, right? You're a tenant, you're an 18 year old kid, you've just moved out of home, you're trying to get into a rental and it's a pretty hard slog out there, depending on what market you're in. Did you get treated with respect? Because I can tell you, if you're a tenant, I promise you, there's not a single person that would watch this podcast that even as a tenant didn't go into a rental and obviously you're not going to get every rental you go for, but just like, man, that person treated me horribly. And as a result, five years could pass and your opinion of that entire company is smeared because of that one interaction of how you were treated back then. Same thing. What's the input point quite often as a buyer as well? Same thing. Was I treated with respect? Like how many times when you go and buy a property, do you actually make a decision about who you'll sell with in five years' time? And the ability to recognize that these are all perfectly interrelated. This isn't a transaction. This is a client. And a client over a life cycle might buy and sell a couple of times, translating to becoming a landlord. If you're a landlord with one investment property, well, you're pretty likely to have two, some point maybe three. And if you've got three, you're quite likely to obviously sell those homes at some point at time as well. So again, it's treating every client as an individual, not as this is a sales client, this is a BDM client, this is something else. And that's why you see so much leakage in rent roles where, you know, frankly, they don't treat their landlords as sellers potentially. Like Mm. the unfortunate truth is, well, when I say unfortunate, it's unfortunate for those that wanted to grow big rent roles, but there was a lot of investors that sold in the last 12 months. Now, whether you consider it winning or not, I don't know. But the fact is they're going to sell regardless of whether you ask them the question or not. Now, someone that treated their landlord with respect or with care would have actually said, hey, what's your situation right now? Like, Can we help? Because whether that be refinancing, whether that be just getting an appraisal, whether it be helping them get equity out of their investment, or whether it be needing to sell the home, these are all things that we should have considered. And the leakage that happened inside of a rent roll where they didn't actually sell with the same 
company that they list with, which obviously happens all the time, but I promise you nothing hurts business owners more than losing a, a listing or a sale from their rental because then they lost the asset value and they lost the commission. It's a pretty big hit. It happened because they didn't actually respect the relationship with the client. And so again, this is a holistic business approach, but the answer to your question is this, is how do we better interact with the mortgage broking arm of the business, the legal arm of the business, the tenant side, the buyer side, the entire picture. And you know, whilst big businesses might have this all under one roof, there's no reason you can't have a great referral relationship with other businesses and actually say, hey, look, this is one relationship. How do I maximize the value of every client relationship? And if you do that well, well, you know, that's where you can really win. Yeah. Oh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, just last year, I've been a tenant, I've been a vendor, I've been a buyer, I've been a landlord, and I'm not special. <laughs> so <laughs> there's plenty of people like me out there. But yeah, I think there's some great tips there. And Tim, thank you for coming on here and sharing some of your knowledge. I know some of this stuff is stuff that you normally only share with very white people. So thank you very much for coming on and giving some of your wisdom and some of your advice to us on the podcast for our first episode of 2024. If there was one thing that you'd like to leave everyone with, one message, what would it be? If there was one message that I think everyone should take, you know, it's to consider one word, which is to measure yourself against your potential, not against your outcome, you know, because there's only one person that can actually say, did I reach my potential? And that's what makes it such a brutal measurement, which is you. Did you make as many calls as you were capable of? Did you show up every day with the right attitude? You know, was it someone else's fault or was it your fault? If you can take the ultimate responsibility, you'll actually unlock a lot of potential just by simply measuring yourself against it. So I would suggest, you know, don't look at other people's chapter 12s to your chapter one, regardless of what that looks like. Always ask yourself, you know, regardless of what you do, if you're ambitious, if you have courage, if you act with energy and trust and you measure yourself against your potential, you can unlock some pretty special outcomes. So I guess that would be my suggestion. Yeah, amazing. Good advice for a great year. Tim Snell, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to Connect Now. To stay in touch with all things Elite Agent, sign up for our daily newsletter, The Brief, at eliteagent.com slash subscribe. 